Hi, this is Chris Foreman from Madness, and you're listening to the Stateside Madness podcast. <laughs> Hi there, folks out there. I'd like you to meet Tommy McGuire's combo. Hello, and welcome to the Stateside Madness podcast, the one and only podcast of the official Madness American fan service. I'm Lori, along with my co-host Polly, here to bring you news, reviews, and deep dives into the nutty sound of the British pop band Madness. Welcome back to the Stateside Madness Podcast. I'm Lori. And I'm Polly. And uh, we're more than just a podcast. We have a website, statesidemadness.com. Come check it out. We have lots of exclusive content there. Please do. Uh, And for fans in the United States, uh, if you want to check out our Facebook group, we'd encourage you to ask to join. Uh, Yeah, but if you go to statesidemadness.com, you can get links to every form of media that we're on. But Lori, we're not here really to sell too much of that today. What are we here to do today? We are here to talk about The Young Ones, a British sitcom from 1983-1984. Uh, there is a connection with madness. So before we go into the episode, Polly, are you all ready for your trip? Uh, no, I'm not. So no, I'm not quite ready for my trip, but I'm sorting out the details now. But in just about a week's time, I'll be at House of Fun and looking to connect with any of our listeners of the podcast. Um, I will be easy to find. I'll be the yank that uh, people are fleeing from, or at least walking away from quickly with a bored and exasperated look on their face. But look for the Stateside Madness banners uh, ask where Stateside Madness is, or just look for a guy walking around with a camera and a microphone. And we'd love to talk to all the Madness fans that are going to be at House of Fun. You never know, you just might wind up on this very podcast. Yeah, I know you're planning on doing some recording while you're there. That should be really interesting. So this again is at uh, Butlin's Minehead in the UK. It's an annual, actually, this is the last year that they're doing it. And Polly, you're also going to have something to give away, aren't you? I am, sure. So look for us there. We're going to have all sorts of badges. Badges. (laughs) We don't need no stinking badges. (laughs) But you do. If it's a stateside madness one, you ought to come look for it. Yeah. So yeah, if you see Polly, go say hi. Uh, Maybe he'll uh, put you on the podcast. Since Polly has been busy getting ready for his trip, it kind of fell to me to write most of this episode. Now, Polly, you've seen the young ones, but how long has it been since you've seen them? So I've managed to see uh, bits of the episodes featuring Madness, one episode featuring madness and somewhat recently so uh the other one i don't know that i've seen since they aired on american television which what must have been what the very early 90s they were on mtv that's kind of good because i'm totally going to put you on the spot in this episode yeah that's great i love a quiz yeah i know i know i you you love you love being put on the spot all right so chris what time is it showtime 
Again, so this was a uh, comedy series, a sitcom in Britain, alternative comedy. The alternative comedy movement started in London in the early 80s. And four of the main players, Alexi Sale, Adrian Edmondson, Rick Mayall, and Nigel Planer, all worked at the comedy store in London. Alexi Sale was the most prominent of the four. Rick and Adrian had a partnership together, and Nigel had a partnership with another comedian. I think that might've been Peter Richardson. So they were like two comedy duos, but Alexi Sale was really like the big name at the comedy store. And so the four of them, along with Peter Richardson, founded a troupe called The Comic Strip, which led to a TV show on uh, UK television, The Comic Strip Presents. Now, Peter Richardson leveraged the success of The Comic Strip Presents into a deal to create six half hour episodes of a sitcom for the BBC. And the writers of the sitcom were Rick Mayall, comedian Ben Elton, and Lise Mayer. Now, in order to be classified as a variety show and thus get a larger budget, they decided to have one musical guest per episode. The first episode debuted on BBC Two on November 9th, 1982. And just for those of you who are curious out there, so Lori's birthday is November 9th and Lori would have been nine when that aired. <laughs> Giving away all my secrets. Yes, yep. November 9th. Youngster. Uh, uh, <laughs> in the United States, The Young Ones started airing on MTV on the 5th of June, 1985. The show also ran on PBS. Curious. It was on Masterpiece, for those of you who are interested. And on USA Network's Night Flight. Was it really on Masterpiece? No, it wasn't on Masterpiece. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, all right. But no, I mean, if you think about it, though, like the, the British comedies that used to be on PBS, Benny Hill, Monty Python's Flying Circus, it kind of makes sense. You know, if you wanted to turn into some late night weird British comedy, PBS used to be the, uh, the place to go. All right, so the cast. We have a recurring set of characters. Adrian Edmondson played Vivian Bastard, who was the punk rocker with shocking orange hair and a propensity towards violence. Rick Mayall was Rick, a self-described anarchist and the people's poet, whom no one seems to like. Nigel Planer as Neil, the mopey hippie. Christopher Ryan as Mike, the cool person, who fancies himself a ladies' man and always has a money-making scheme up his sleeve. In fact, I think he was in one episode blackmailing one of the deans. And then of course, Alexi Sales, who calls himself a Marxist comedian in various roles, a different role each episode, including different members of the Balowski family. And all of them, with the exception of Alexi Sales' character, were college students living in a house together. And that was the setting of The Young Ones. 
British television, they refer to the individual seasons of a show as a series. There were two seasons of the young ones. They were called series one and series two. And then another thing that's unique about British television is their seasons are very short. Uh, United States television season, I think is like 24 episodes, 24 weeks. In the UK, it can be anywhere from six to 12. So there were two series and each one was six episodes long for a total of 12 episodes. So should we start talking about series one, Polly? I think we should. Okay. So what we're going to do to add a little context, to get you a little familiarized with the young ones, is we're going to do a quick rundown of each of the episodes that appeared in the series. Now, on episode one, titled Demolition, the boys get a letter from the council informing them that the house they're living in is going to be demolished. Now, Vivian tries to destroy the house himself, as Vivian would try to do. Mike tries to seduce a female council representative. Neil attempts suicide by placing his head in the path of a workman's sledgehammer. And Rick ties himself to a large cross in front of the house and begins to read a protest poem he has written, but switches to singing a snippet from Cliff Richard's song, Living Doll, after he drops his notebook. The musical guest, Nine Below Zero performing, 11 plus 11. The four boys have moved into a new house after their previous house was destroyed. Vivian announces that he struck oil in the basement, and Mike and Vivian hatch a plan to get rich selling the oil by exploiting Rick and Neil as slave labor. Rick then starts a workers' revolution and organizes a benefit concert in the kitchen. And one of the performers in the benefit concert is Radical Posture with Alexi Sale. Now, this isn't a real band. This is something that was formed by Alexi Sale for the show. The song he performed was called Dr. Martin's Boots. Let's listen. What is it? What is that one thing that unites us? It's not class or ideology, color, creed, or roots. The only thing that unites us is Dr. Martin's Boots. Dr. Martin's gave boots to the world so that everybody can be free. They're classless, matchless. He was just one from retail for only 19 pounds and 99 pounds. Pretty soon everybody be wearing those boots with the airflow cells And your boots will have a meeting and your boots will take control Thanks to Dr. Martin, everybody moved to one beat Thanks to Dr. Martin, they'll be dancing in the street No, don't you want me? Okay, boots, do your stuff! Oh, 
Okay, so episode three, probably one Madness fans know, it's boring. Now, in boring, despite a terrorist siege in their house and a visitation from a dwarf from hell, skating vegetables in the sink, and the card playing mice, the young ones are so bored that Neil is driven to dig himself a grave and Viv chops off his finger. David Rappaport plays Frumsh the Devil, Mark Arden and Stephen Frost play a pair of rather stupid policemen who are revealed to be the subject of an article with the headline, Police IQ Shocker. Actress and writer Pauline Melville appears as Vivian's mother. And you guessed it, the musical guest, Madness, performing House of Fun. because it had a lot of segments that didn't seem to have anything to do with the main plot. Uh, very frequently, there'd be puppets interacting different things. Like in the first episode, there were a couple rats in the wall that were played by puppets. And then sometimes they just have like these weird non sequiturs that just don't really fit in with anything. And that's part of this whole alternative comedy genre, I suppose. All right, then we had episode four, Bomb. Now in this episode, an atomic bomb falls through the roof and blocks the fridge. So Mike, of course, hatches a plan to sell it to the highest bidder. Neil, the anti-nuke hippie that he is, decides to paint himself white to deflect a nuclear blast. The TV license man, played by Roger Sloman, calls. I didn't understand this concept of a TV license. That, to me, seems really bizarre. Are you familiar with this at all, Polly, this, this TV license thing? No, not really. Uh, apparently in the UK, you have to pay an annual license fee to own a television. Mm. Like if you own a TV and you don't have a license, I mean, that's like akin to dodging taxes. Uh, that seems a little bit peculiar to me, but apparently that's very common over there. And uh, we also have a cutaway sketch in this episode, Dickie and Dino, and it's a parody of the Rat Pack. The musical guest in this episode playing up in the bathroom Dexie's Midnight Runners performing Jackie Wilson set.
one of my favorite Dexie songs. I absolutely love that one. I know that in the United States, they're considered a one-hit wonder. They actually had some really, really good tunes. And, you know, of course, they're known for Come On Eileen. Great. And actually a, a fine pop song, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with that. But, uh, you know, their, their stuff runs a little bit more avant-garde than I think a lot of people give them credit for. And I tend to like a lot of their stuff. Episode five of series one, it's called Interesting. Now in it, the boys throw a party. Vivian soups up the vacuum cleaner into what Mike calls the domestic equivalent of a black hole. A Bible thumper proceeds the four horsemen of the apocalypse and a giant sandwich. Rick desperately tries to impress his sociology professor, Dr. Morrison. Mike gets whisked off on a fairy tale adventure and Santa appears. Vivian's fellow punks start a riot and Neil inadvertently gets beaten up. The musical guests rip rig in panic with Andy Oliver performing You're My Kind of Climate. What about rip rig in panic? So I'd never heard of Rip Rig and Panic, right? Until I was researching this episode. It turns out their lead singer used to be Nina Cherry. Really? Yeah. And Andy Oliver took her place, which hmm. I think was, yeah. Um, this episode in particular, I think even more so than the other episodes, really kind of illustrates this kind of randomness that goes along with this British alternative comedy. I mean, we have so many different things going on with the giant sandwich and then Mike, you know, falling in love with his fairy tale princess. We have uh, like a 19th century, like Dickensian orphan stuck in the chimney with Santa Claus. I mean, just all these weird random things that are going on at the same time. And I, as a child, I did not really understand a lot of this humor. I think that you need to ingest a certain amount of drugs. I, I think that this show would be absolutely freaking hysterical if you were a stoner watching it, it, it yeah it, it would be i can i can probably attest to that having seen it in the early 90s but uh i, I don't think there's i don't don't put too much into the idea of understanding it i don't think that um uh they think that every um gimmick they threw out there was going to connect and resonate in some meaningful way I think it was meant to distract and confuse, and I don't think there's uh, any point in trying to understand it. So there you go. Well, it is a distraction, I'll give you that. Okay, the final episode of the first series or first season, it's called Flood. During heavy rains, London floods and the young ones are trapped in the house. And so they decide to play hide and seek to pass the time. Now, while they're playing, Mike finds a lion tamer in his bedroom. This was in lieu of a musical guest, this episode. Instead, they had the lion tamer. 
the song that is playing in the background is The Lion Sleeps Tonight by Tight Fit. hides in a wardrobe and enters Narnia. And then there's an arson attack on Rick's bedroom. But then the landlord, Jersey Belowski, drinks a potion and turns into a homicidal axe-wielding maniac. Again, this episode is just so completely random and all over the place. Do you remember that one at all? I Yeah, I remember bits of it, particularly Jersey Belowski. Yeah. I do. All right. Okay, so that's the end of the first series in 83. Then in 84, they came back to do series two. Now, in 84, there was a little bit of a, I guess, panic in certain circles that the media was doing subliminal messaging or subliminal advertising. You know, this was the kind of thing that you'd see on like talk shows and stuff like that. Oh, you know, how are the media manipulating our minds? And so... In mocking this idea, that was their goal in season two, they included subliminal messages throughout the second series. So you'd occasionally be watching and you'd see a little flash of something. What was that? And honestly, when I rented this off of Amazon and the first time I saw it, I thought, is this a glitch? I actually, (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say I contacted Amazon customer service. I'm like, what is going on here? Why am I seeing like, uh, a jumping frog in the middle of this episode, right? Well, come to find out, and I'm a little embarrassed that I called customer service about this, that this was actually the intention of the creators. So some of the subliminal images that they included in series two were a dove in flight, a jumping frog, a skier, a dripping tap, and the the end caption from something called Carry On Cowboy. And all of that came from a FAQ, FAQ by Andrew Wong. So episode one of series two is titled Bambi. In it, the young ones visit the laundrette after one of Vivian's socks escapes. The machine revolts against their stinking bundle of washing. Neil suddenly remembers they are due to appear on University Challenge. Vivian loses his head during the train journey. The opposing University Challenge team is Hugh Laurie, Stephen Fry, Emma Thompson, and Ben Elton. There is also a cutaway sketch parody of The Elephant Man with an actual elephant, starring Robbie Coltrane and Tony Robinson as the doctors. The musical guest on it, the great, the wonderful Motorhead, playing Ace of Spades.
Rest in peace, yeah. Lemmy. Yeah, please do. Um, and yes, Lori, I remember that episode very, very well. That is my favorite episode. That is absolutely my favorite episode. Next episode is called Cash. Now, in the beginning of the episode, Neil thinks that the house is haunted by what he calls a poltergeist. And there are actually two headless ghosts that keep popping up throughout the episode. Again, another example of this weird randomness. Neil has to get a job because they have no money for food or rent or electricity. And Vivian can't get a job because he's pregnant. Don't ask, just go with it. Again, this is alternative comedy. So Neil joins the police force where the recruiting officer is Benito Mussolini, played by Alexi Sale. While Neil is off doing the police thing, a truck full of food and expensive furnishings just happens to crash through the front window of the house. And of course the flatmates, you know, take advantage of this. So when Neil arrives home, he sees all of this new furniture and all these new things. And so he tries to arrest his flatmates. He's kind of let becoming a police officer get to his head a little bit. I didn't know that there was a musical guest in this episode. And that's because it was cut out of the DVD and the uh, Amazon recordings due to copyright reasons. So there's a band called Ken Bishop's Nice 12. And this was formed specifically for this episode. If you try to look them up, you know, their discography or anything, you won't see anything other than this episode. They were led by Squeeze keyboardist and TV presenter Jules Holland, And the ensemble included his bandmate Chris Difford from Squeeze police drummer Stuart Copeland, and a batch of comedians like Roland Riveron, Derek Griffiths, and Peter Bruis. The song they did was a cover of Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. Now again, because this was cut out of most of the releases, the version that I was able to find was actually kind of low quality, so I apologize in advance for this. This was taken off of somebody's VHS tape. This is Ken Bishop's Nice 12 performing Subterranean Homesick Blues. Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. The man in the trench coat by Joe. Adolph says, got a back car. Once again, he paid off. Look out, kid, something to get. God knows when, but you're doing it again. Better duck down the alleyway looking for a new friend. Man in the coons getting caught by the big pen. Once you have a dollar bill, you only got ten. Maggie comes for you. Talking about the heat, put plans in the bed. But the phone's tapped anyway. Maggie says the many say they must bust an early man. Orders from the DA. Look out, kid, no matter what you did. There was actually a second song, which was Alexi Sale performing a song called Stupid Noises. Do we want to subject our listeners to that? Yeah, I think we do. I know I do. Okay. All right. Well, blame Polly. This is Alexi Sale's Stupid Noises song. Whenever people bother me, when they shout and raise their voices, I don't let it get me down. I just make some stupid noises. I go huh, 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 huh. <laughs> respond, respond, Mrs. 
sack because you've lost all his invoices. Don't drink a bottle of sulfuric acid. Relax, make stupid noises. Just go, yo, 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 nick, nick, no walk out. His mom, bing, bong, yikty, yikty, wick, And episode three of series two, Nasty, in Nasty, it's bath night, and Neil is last in the water. Mike and Vivian plan to watch a video called Nasty on a rented VCR when the postman delivers a package from South Africa. Inside the package is a vampire, again, played by Alexi Sales, but though the young ones... But though the young ones are all virgins, they don't want to lose face by admitting it. Saved by sunlight, they take the body to the graveyard, where the vampire turns out to be Harry the Bastard, from whom they rented the video, and the deadline for returning it has just passed. Monty Python alumnus Terry Jones makes a cameo as a drunken vicar, and the comedy duo Hale and Pace appear as a pair of gravediggers. The Damned perform nasty. starting to get bigger musical guests in a series two aren't they i mean motorhead and the dam those are two pretty big acts that's pretty impressive oh and shout out to molly who's probably listening who's a huge fan of the damned all right so then we have episode four time now this episode begins with a parody of the american serial dallas with hippie neil in the jr role only he's giving away all of his money rather than being greedy like J.R. Ewing. And then it turns out that it was all a dream. Again, kind of hearkening back to that whole whole who shot J.R., that whole season that was a dream, right? So Neil was the one that was dreaming about Dallas. Rick wakes up in bed next to a fully clothed woman named Helen, played by Jennifer Saunders of absolutely fabulous fame. And then Rick makes up a story for the rest of the roommates that he got lucky with the girl. But the others are skeptical, particularly because she had all her clothes on. And the radio announces that Helen is actually an escaped murderer. Meanwhile, Vivian is trying to kill Rick because Rick is still a virgin. Somehow, the house passes through a time warp, you know, as houses do. And the young ones are suddenly in the Middle Ages where they're accused of sorcery. And then they watch some medieval television. In this episode, Robbie Coltrane portrays a one-eyed pirate radio DJ named Captain Blood. And Hale and Pace, again, the comedy duo, this time they play peasants. 
And in this episode, the musical guest was Amazulu performing Moonlight Romance. no the only song i remember of theirs that got any airplay around here was montego bay which was a really really catchy i mean it was a remake of the old calypso song but uh i'd never heard that song before so that was interesting episode five of series two is the episode called sick and as you may have guessed it all four of the young ones are ill in the episode neil starts violently sneezing green phlegm everywhere he sneezes out a window and he triggers the street riot outside in this episode madness perform our house Damage Bolowski escapes from his police guard. Brian Damage takes the young ones hostage. Neil's parents come to tea. The boys end up working in the garden, and Rick inadvertently kills Neil. Okay. All right. Then we have the final episode, episode six, Summer Holiday, which was named after a Cliff Richard song. So summer is here, exams are over, and the guys are bored. They play some games and watch some TV, but then Vivian destroys the TV and the rest of the house along with it. Just then, Mike remembers to tell Rick, oh, by the way, your parents died this morning. Then the landlord, Jersey Bolowski, arrives, and when he sees all the destruction, he evicts the boys. So with no money, Mike hatches a plan to rob the fascist pig bank, and then Rick steals a double-decker bus to make their getaway. Now, this episode ends on a literal cliffhanger with the bus careening off of a cliff. Jules Holland and Norman Lovett cameo as bank customers, and Stephen Frost also makes an appearance playing the bank manager. The musical guest was John Atwe performing a song called Body Talk. Let's listen. (laughs) 
to them, and the way that you walk is all body talk. The way you move your hips, and the way that your lips hold your cigarettes. If you're gonna laugh, if you're gonna cry, oh, honey, I'll give it away with your body talk. Every time you breathe, and every time you sneeze, body talk. If you're having a good time, or just plain bored or undecided. If you're thinking of me, passionately, oh, oh. I can see my body talk. The way that this episode ended left people wondering if there was going to be a series three, but there was not. This was the end of the musical comedy experiment that was The Young Ones. Now, Madness were the only musical guests that appeared twice on The Young Ones. Of course, they played House of Fun in Series 1. We just talked about that. The boys switched instruments. Better was on drums. Woody was on bass. Rick says, do any of you know Summer Holiday by Cliff Richards? Suggs says, of course. You am it. I'll smash your face in. I'll go sit over there. It just seems so out of character for Suggs, doesn't it? Uh, well, I don't know. Depends. Uh, I've not actually known his uh, uh, whether he has any sort of fondness for Cliff Richards, but I think that's a bit of the joke. Is the young ones um, sort of? Uh, it, it's it's their version of OK Boomer, kind of. They they were done with that generation. They're on to their sort of thing. And of course, Madness played Our House in Series Two, which we just mentioned. The band plays during a street riot and then joins in with the melee. So there are only six members of Madness in that our house in, in okay. the episode called Sick. Now, I can't tell from watching it who is at the piano because you never actually see the person's face. My first thought was, well, if somebody is very tall, it's probably Mike Barson. But then I realized 1984, Mike Barson had left the band. So I'm almost wondering if that's not Carl at the piano. But you never get a good look at his face, so we don't actually know who was on the piano. But one of the band members is missing. It could be Mike. It could be Carl. Okay. I'm very curious. I'm sure our listeners will, will weigh in on that and let us know, right? Okay. All right. So, Polly. Oh, God. <laughs> you know I love to put you on the spot. Okay. So, my surprise, Polly is not prepared for this. Polly... In keeping with the the theme, right? The university challenge. We're gonna play a little bit of university challenge and you get to represent stateside madness. Oh man, this is too much pressure. <laughs> What is the name of the university that Rick, Vivian, Mike, and Neil attend? <laughs> so they go to Scumbag. Scumbag College. Very good. Okay. Question two, Polly. This should be an easy one for you. What, oh, singer, yeah. what singer is Rick obsessed with? Uh, Cliff Richards. Cliff Richards. Very good. Question number three. What is Vivian's college major? His college major. I think this, I think they actually talked about it. Did they talk about it in Sick? Um, I, don't, I don't know if they talked about it in Sick, but they did talk about it in the very, very first episode, Demolition. Hmm. So he brings home 
An amputated leg. Oh, I'm gonna. I'll just say anatomy. Yeah, I think we can go with that. It was medicine. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go with that. Okay. Question four: What dish is Neil always cooking for the roommates? Hmm. I don't know. I'll just say gr gruel. Lentils. Close. Yeah, I think you should give that to me. <laughs> Lentils, gruel, maybe. All right. Okay, question number five. What is the name of Vivian's hamster? Vivian's hamster. They're getting um, more, more difficult, aren't they? Yeah, uh, Vivian's hamster. He's a Glaswegian um, hamster. Glaswegian. I'm going to say... Nietzsche. Special Patrol Group or SPG. Oh, I got it. I got it very close. <laughs> I think Special Patrol Group is a stupid name for a hamster. <laughs> okay, I'll change it then. Hello, Cliff Richard. <laughs> sure, sure. Very close. You sound like my students. Well, I was close on that answer. Cake to give me the point. Okay. Question six. Now, it's been a long time since you've seen this episode, I know. Who does Mike discover alive and tangled in a parachute in his new bedroom in series one, episode two, Oil? Uh, uh, D.B. Cooper? No. It is somebody with glasses, though. Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. Very good. Good job. Now, there's a bonus question related to that, Polly. Oh, God. What is the name of the song that Buddy performed in the episode? So this was a song that was made up for the episode. It's not an actual Buddy Holly song. Oh, Christ. Um, this is a hard one. If you haven't seen it recently, it's a hard one. No, I, I, I doubt I, I, it's probably been at least 30 years since I saw that one. I don't know. All right. It was called Cuckoo Daddy Long Legs. And it was about all of the spiders and insects that he had been eating trapped in the house for 30 years. Rain fly pie with a mosquito side salad. 23 years on a meat-free diet. Beatles, crickets, gonna get you sick. Here's a little sucker and you ought to try it. <laughs> Daddy long legs. Your bed makes more money than Peggy said. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, why do you gonna... do this to me? <laughs> this isn't going to become like a regular segment. No, is it? no, no, no. <laughs> I, I can embarrass myself all on my own. No, this is related to the episode. Okay. All right, we have two more questions. You're being, I, I appreciate you're a good sport. What I was the I... name of the fictional pub where Madness play in series one, episode three, boring? And now, Polly, you've mentioned you've seen that one a few times, right? Vivian's mom is the bartender. Ah, oh, God. So my understanding of British pubs is that they are all an adjective and a noun and all something that um, they could apply some iconography to that the illiterate masses would understand uh, by sight so they could all say that they could show up at the Black Dog and know what that meant. Um... I'm going to say the festering ulcer. 
that's charming. Uh, no, it is the kebab and calculator. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. see. <laughs> like hope and anchor. Yeah. Kebab okay. and calculator. Yeah, I guess. I get okay. it. All right. Last question. This is a this is a hard one. This is a really, really hard one. How many members of the Balowski family does Alexi Sale play? Fifteen. That's not a bad guess. Okay, I actually had to count. So it's seven. We've got Jersey the landlord, Alexi the protest singer, Billy Balowski the taxi driver, Reggie Balowski the used car salesman, Tommy Balowski who shows up at a party and he, I don't know what he does. I guess he's just a drunk. Jester Balowski from Medieval Times and murderer Brian Damage Balowski. That was a hard one, Polly. Thank you for being a good sport. Congratulations. You have won University Challenge. I, I don't think so. I don't think I won anything there. You won our listeners' admiration. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not going to be a regular thing, I promise. So after the end of The Young Ones, I did not know this until very recently, Polly. In 1990, they attempted to create an American remake of The Young Ones, you know, just like they did an American remake of The Office, uh, an American remake of Coupling, right? So this was something that was filmed for Fox in 1990. It was called Oh No, Not Them. And it actually did feature Nigel Planer as Neil, along with Jackie Earl Haley. That had to be really interesting. I don't even know what part he was playing. It was a huge flop and it never aired. And reportedly Nigel was super, super relieved to be released from his contract and to be allowed to go back to the UK. Now in the years since, Alexi Sale, I think is probably most noteworthy, at least to American audiences. He had a bit part in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade in 1989. Do you remember him at all in that? Uh, no, that's not the one of the Indiana Jones I go back to that often. Oh, really? That's my favorite. Yeah, he, he plays a, a sheik that uh, the Nazis are negotiating with and they give him a car. Drop Dead Fred. Do you remember that one? I he... I do remember it. Yeah. 1991 film with Phoebe Cates and Rick Mayall in the title role as Fred. And Christopher Ryan would go on to play two Santorin characters on Doctor Who. He played General Stahl and later Commander Stark. So that was between 2008 and 2010. So, you know, the other actors have done little things here and there, but I think those are the things that uh, American audiences would probably recognize them in. Oh, but, but there's more. There's, Tell me more. You're forgetting a big one. What's that? Rick Mile uh, playing um, uh, a pivotal character in American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah, he's he's oh. one of yeah he's one of the locals in the in the pub. 
um, that the the innkeep, the woman is sort of saying, oh, come on, you guys, you, you know, be, be men, go rescue those poor boys from walking out on the moors. And um, Rick Miles' take on it is kind of like, yeah, fuck them, something like that. So he's, he, I think he, his role was sort of in like stopping the guys from going and saving the two poor boys out on the moors. Yeah, so go go look for that. I've never seen it. You've never seen American Werewolf in London? No, I haven't. Never. I, guess I guess I have to go watch that. It, you know what I thought you were going to say? The Art of Noise. Their video oh, yeah. for the Peter Gunn theme. Rick plays a, a gumshoe detective in that. It's actually not too bad. I mean, he's he's Rick. Yeah, so unfortunately, Rick did pass away uh, on June 9th. 2014 a little over seven years ago so mm-hmm. uh yeah so he died uh he had a sudden heart attack after he was out jogging so he was only 56 years old very sad very sad that's another thing about the young ones uh happened around 2012 or thereabouts there started to be some talk online about a mysterious fifth roommate that people had noticed in some scenes. The person can be seen in every episode of series one in the background with their long hair over their face. As a matter of fact, we can't tell if it's a woman or a man with very long hair. And there's a YouTube video called The Young Ones, The Fifth Roommate by a user named Fanatic of Everything. So you can Google that, you can see the video compilation of all the appearances of this roommate. So this led to much speculation online. Was there another person living in the house that the young ones weren't aware of? Now, somebody asked Ben Elton in an online forum about it, and he said he didn't know anything about it, Ben Elton being one of the writers. But eventually, one of the show's three directors, Joff Posner, commented publicly. So if my memory serves me correctly, Paul Jackson, who was another director, And I thought it would be fun to have some ghostly figure in the background of some scenes that was never explained or talked about. Hair all over the face, so you shouldn't be able to decipher gender either. The fact we forgot to do it consistently through the series shows what a bunch of amateurs we were in them days. So that puts that to rest. There actually was maybe not a roommate, but there was a mysterious character in all of season one. Now, also, following the success of The Young Ones in 1984, writer Ben Elton started collaborating with Richard Curtis to write a new sitcom starring, you guessed it, The Boys from Madness. In it, Margaret Thatcher was a space alien who had been recalled to Mars, then replaced as prime minister by Suggs with his bandmates as the cabinet. The band also played villains trying to foil the cabinet's plans. Curious. It was never released, as you might imagine, but it was included in the Gogglebox box set, and the video surfaces from time to time on YouTube. And I do believe somebody actually posted it on the the Madness um, Facebook group the other day couple weeks ago something like that uh but i I have seen it before and uh 
no surprise it was a release. It really was very bad. Uh, yeah, I've seen it too. It's it, it's it's awful, and I don't get how can the the Nutty Boys, you know, who convey all of these characters in their videos and do such a good job with it, and then you have you know this brilliant writer Ben Elton. How could it have been so bad? I I don't know. I'm assuming it's one of those things. Maybe they had just stayed out too late drinking the night before they were supposed to do the show and they wrote it on a napkin on the way there and Mm. that's which if you think of it that little scenario which i just thought of would have made for a much better episode (laughs) well it's interesting to think that madness could have become like the monkeys you know they could have been our generation's monkeys if this series had taken off. Isn't that weird to think? It, it is weird to think, but, you know, uh, there are, uh, as, as our beloved patron, Bob Ross, would say, happy little accidents. Um, careful what you wish for. Uh, Madness could have been um, a novelty band after that for having had a silly little TV show like that. So maybe we're being spared our favorite boys um, becoming the the butt of jokes from here, from then on out. Yeah, perhaps. So um, the young ones, I think, really kind of blaze the trail, I guess, for a generation of alternative British comedians that would come after. I mean, I think you can draw a straight line from the young ones to, for example, the Mighty Boosh, which is another one of those series that, unless you're like in a different frame of mind just don't get it you know what i mean yeah yeah and i'd say i'd say perhaps um kids kids in the hall too uh yeah yeah i'm crushing your head there you go yeah all right so our next episode in two weeks polly you are going to be recording at the house of fun weekender that i am yeah and so we're going to try to form an episode around that. Now, it's a bit uncertain just what I'm going to run into when I get there. If you haven't heard about House of Fun, it's just more than a House of Fun. It is, uh, you thought the Nutty Boys were nutty. Apparently, the fans tend to get their nutty on too a little bit. So it's a fairly raucous atmosphere. A lot of capers, a lot of hijinks. We will just have to see what happens once I get there. Hopefully our audio won't be subpoenaed in any uh, criminal cases. <laughs> Maybe not, yeah. All right. So what do we got for a closing song? So what we have for a closing song is Birthday Girl. It's by Crunch. And we're going to do that for our girl here, Lori. Lori, Aww. happy happy birthday. Thank you, Polly. All right. Well, on that note, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye for me. Go get a beer, Stateside Madness. Hey there, birthday girl. Welcome to 
Tells me you got to get on with your life. 